Good morning, Grace. In keeping with our commitment as a church to naming what needs to be named and, and owning what needs to be owned, I want to start by acknowledging my own complacency in regards to the deep-seated racism in our country. I am complicit in the current state of injustice across this nation, and I have benefited from centuries of laws and prejudice that disproportionately oppress people of color. I repent of this complacency, and I am committed to leaving the path of least resistance so we might actually become one community where Black lives truly matter. I want to thank our high school students, um, all of you, for being so vocal, for forcing the issue, for posting great information, insightful articles, and some incredibly witty memes. You are making a difference, and it is an honor to know you and to be able to serve with you. I love you guys. Well, as John read for us earlier today, we're looking into Psalm 104, particularly verses 24 through 30. And I'd like to just kind of grab it and and ring it out to see what it holds for us this morning. So I'll do that. I'm just going to start at verse 24 and start reading. The psalmist writes this. He, He writes, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. He writes, in wisdom, you made them all. In other words, with intention, you made it all. Like as the earth and its creatures formed, it reflected your mind, Lord, and your nature. The the psalmist is appreciating the intelligence and the vision behind all of creation. He's, he's appreciating how wonderfully it all works together with every piece of creation contributing toward the glory of the whole. If we had read the previous 20 verses or so, you'd find image after image of earth and creature and God all in relationship, images of grass for cattle and, and trees being watered and the stork with its home and the junipers and the high mountains belonging to wild goats and God in it all and through it all. And uh, the psalmist here is just reflecting on those relationships and the interconnectedness of everything around him. This, this writer might actually be considered one of the first deep ecologists, a, a field that I could see my daughter in in the future. Uh, Kendall, she's always been an outdoor child. And a while back, I remember finding her outside, kind of camped beneath a tree in our backyard. And she was taking these long, deep breaths in and then and like, exhaling these long, like, deep breaths out onto the leaves of these trees. And I remember asking her like, Hey, what are you doing? And and in response, she just began like marveling at what she had been learning in science about the relationships that sustain our, our planet and our being. She said, she said, daddy, I, I breathe out carbon dioxide and plants breathe that in. And, and then the plants, they breathe out oxygen, which is what I breathe in. And she was just marveling at the beauty of that relationship. And here the psalmist is doing the same thing. He writes, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. I think of uh, something said by an American Indian named Seattle who lived in the 1800s. And he he once said this about the wisdom and the intention and the interconnectedness he saw all around him. He said, humankind did not weave the web of life. We are but one strand within it. He said, whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. No life is lived in a vacuum, is it? 
This is something we're acutely aware of at this moment in history, having to kind of as one, as one humanity deal with the injustices and oppression that has been levied on one part of this web, of our web. But here the psalmist is, is marveling at creation and appreciating the beauty in all of it. But I want to keep reading. In verse 25, the psalmist writes this, There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. A Leviathan frolicking. It's not the first word that comes to mind when I think of a giant sea monster, uh, uh, this beast beneath the surface. I think of the Leviathan creeping and sneaking, hunting, attacking, flipping ships and, and swallowing scuba divers. Uh, but, but frolicking, no. I don't, that's not where my mind goes. But the psalmist here, it's, it's interesting to see him seeing all of creation in its most whimsical form. I feel like the, the psalmist would have loved America's Funniest Home Videos, which has on multiple occasions, because of its whimsy, reunited our family after tense and tumultuous days. But, but just think about the psalmist's perspective, because I think it's really interesting. Not only is, is he seeing creation in its most whimsical form, but, the, but it's interesting the way he is attributing the, the Leviathan's experience on this earth to the Lord. He's basically saying, Lord, the way you've set things up it's good. It's good. So I want to continue reading. Verse 27, the psalmist says this, All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. The psalmist is recognizing the, the harmony in, in creation, when it's operating with a single source, obtaining whatever it is they need from a single giver. Uh, it's, it's interesting to look at how in this picture, all creatures are satisfied. In this picture, no creatures are unsatisfied. In this picture, all creatures gather up what they need from, from one source at the proper time, like, like when they need it. And in this picture, no creatures are gathering up food they don't need, and, and no creatures are having to wait beyond their time of need to gather up their food. And here I wonder if the psalmist is drawing on the stories of his ancestors, uh, stories of their nation in the wilderness, when one giver and, and one source would send food at the proper time, and, and everyone gathered it up according to their need, but, but no one gathered beyond their need, and they were satisfied. This is an incredible picture of harmony and community. It's a picture of justice. And so the psalmist gives us this incredible picture, recognizing beauty, recognizing harmony, recognizing design and systems and balance, admiring the relationships between all things and seeing the mind and the intention behind it. And he's appreciating it for its goodness. And then the psalmist writes these next few lines, which... To me, they kind of come out of nowhere and they're a little bit jarring. So I'll just read them for you. He says this, when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. The psalmist says in this psalm about creation that, that all of earth, 
and its creatures, all of it, the order, the systems, the abundance, the whimsy, the joy, the, the life of it. It depends on one thing and you take that out and we're in trouble. It says your many works, Lord, made with such wisdom, the beauty of its interconnectedness and the whimsy of the Leviathan, the, the goodness of, of creatures coming to you for what they need when they need it. It all goes away when you're taking out of the equation. I think of a Kendall parked outside under that tree, but instead of breathing out and breathing in, uh, sharing this, marveling at this relationship she shares with creation, instead she's just wanting to consume every bit of vitality and energy for herself. Never breathing out her contribution toward how nature thrives and how bad that would be for her. The psalmist says, creation minus the Lord, it's terror. Creatures turn inward to find their food at whatever time they deem is proper. They're no longer receiving from the giving hand of, of, of a source, but they're now taking by the wielding of power. Those who are satisfied are those who get there first or who bring the most cash or have the best weapons. The relationships that are the glory of creation are destroyed. The picture of justice is shattered and a new picture of injustice replaces it. As I read this, I, I know what the psalmist is saying is true because I can see it. But thankfully, he doesn't end there. And this is how the psalmist wraps up this, this movement of, of sorts to, to steal a term from music composition. Um, the psalmist ends with this. He writes, when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. When you send your spirit, they are created. The psalmist uh, here uses the Hebrew word yivbareun, which is, is a passive form of the word bara, which means to come into being, but it, it means to come into being in a way in which you have no active role. And it's, it's often used when it's speaking about birth, because if you think about it, you don't really have anything to do with your birth. You don't have an active role in that process. And the psalmist uses that form of the verb here when he says, when you send your spirit they are reborn. He's reminding us that, that our birth has everything to do with the power of God and nothing to do with my own power or ability. In scripture, the, the spirit of God is, was the breath that was breathed into mankind in Genesis 2. That moment that man became more than just biology. The moment that humanity received the thing that, that, gave, that gives them inherent worth and, and Genesis 2 describes it as the moment where we became living beings. In scripture, the spirit of God is what gave prophets the ability to see what was happening in history from God's point of view and the ability to speak about it accordingly. In scripture, the spirit of God is the gift that gives mankind the ability to be in relationship with God, receiving God's love and, and giving them the ability to actually love God back. Jesus told a man once that he needed to be born again by being born of the spirit, that he needed to be recreated. He needed to be put back in touch with the reality of his being more than just biology. He needed to be recreated by having his eyes opened to be able to see life and himself and all things from the point of view of God. 
that he needed to be recreated to have the ability to, in a new way, receive love from God and to, and to be able to love God back and, and all of creation as well. Psalmist says, when you send your spirit, Lord, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And you renew the face of the ground. The personal presence of God is all about renewal. It's about making new all over again. Lord, we need your renewing power. We stand in the face of incredible, unbelievable injustice across this land. And we know that a renewed land is a just land, that a renewed heart is a just heart. Lord, our, you see our voices, you hear our voices, you see our posters, our t-shirts, our Instagram posts. They're all crying out for justice, Lord, and you are in the business of justice, of bringing justice through renewal and restoration. So if you've, if you've been around church, you've probably heard a story of a man named Saul. And if you haven't been around church and you're, and you're curious, check out the part of the Bible called the book of Acts. Read the first nine or 10 chapters, really incredible stuff. But it's, it's the story of a guy who many saw uh, as a murderer. Saul was actually a powerful public figure who oppressed people who didn't think like him. And he, and he was known to have presided over multiple public killings in the name of the law. And, and the, the, the murders, the killings that Paul presided over, they weren't just in the heat of the moment killings either. They were, they were approved of and they were premeditated first degree types. And uh, anyways, the story goes that, that one day, this man named Saul, he was on the road to find more people who didn't think like him. And he had this incredible encounter with the spirit of God. He was overwhelmed by it. The spirit of God encountered him and he was reborn. In some ways, literally, like he was in the same way that a baby is unable to see until it comes out of the womb, until it was born. Like this man, Saul became blind and he was unable to see until three days later when he was said to have been completely filled with the spirit of God. And he was born, he was born again and he was able to see again, although he would never see things the same way because everything about he, the way he saw himself and the world was totally different from that moment on. He went from being a life taker to being a life giver. He went from being somebody who breathed out murderous threats to being somebody who breathed out life. He went from being somebody who climbed the ladder of status as high as he could to being somebody who stooped as low as possible to serve those in need. He went from being someone who loved power to being someone who loved people. He went from being an elite nationalist to being the one who would say something we've all heard, that many of us have heard. It's an incredible encouragement when he said, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He went from being a man who carried out tremendous injustice to being one who advocated for the poor and the weak and the widow and the orphan and the fatherless. He went from being a man who executed his own form of retributive justice on men 
to preaching the glory of restorative justice, the kind of justice the Spirit of God brought about in and through his life. And so I read this and, and it causes me to look inward. And I ask myself, if the Spirit of God had free reign in my heart and mind, if the Spirit of God had unlimited access to every square inch of my being, where would that spirit begin its renewing work in me? Which attributes and conditions of my heart would the spirit begin making new? What kind of divine revelation might I be in for that, that changes the way I see everything? That changes the way I receive love from God and the way that I give love back to God and I love all of creation and all humanity. Because this is the psalmist said, when you send your spirit, Lord, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Well, in, in closing, I, I wanna bring into the service a friend and brother of mine here at Grace. His name is Sean Williams, and I've known him for a long time, but, but really got a sense for, for who Sean is a few years back when he shared some of his experiences during an event in Grace put on as part of a series on racial reconciliation. And I was speaking with Sean this week and, and I was truly humbled by some of our conversation. You know, we were talking about our national crisis. We were talking about tragedy in general, and we were talking about restorative justice and, and more. And it's, it's what he had to say about what might be uh, tragedy on top of tragedy as we think about the state of our nation right now and, 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 and what he said about what it might look like to pursue restorative justice in our land that, that really struck me. Um, and so I, I wanted to invite him to actually you know, share some of that with you. Good morning, Grace. As a follower of Jesus Christ who is black, I lament and repent of my racial biases daily by yielding to the Holy Spirit to work through me, to speak out, stand up, and bring down systems of injustice and oppression in our society. I do not condone the actions of Officer Derek Chauvin. Our sovereign God will administer justice to Officer Chauvin swiftly and expeditiously. And for me, that means Officer Chauvin's rebirth. Another tragedy would be for Officer Chauvin to take whatever hatred, murder, racism he has in his heart to his grave. For him to die with that in his heart would be a tragedy on top of tragedy. I feel strongly that one way we can pursue restorative justice in our nation is to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Officer Chauvin's life, on the lives of police officers who stand by while others are killed, on the lives of police officers who will stand up and speak out against injustice and oppression, our president's heart that it might break with empathy for a nation that is in such pain, and on the lives of our white, Asian, and Latinx brothers and sisters in the body of Christ for boldness and courage to stand up and speak out against injustice and oppression in our nation. I'd like to do that now. Will you pray for me? Love my Father God, you're awesome. I give you all the honor. I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. Love my Father God, I ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on Officer Chauvin, on police officers, on our president and on my white, Asian and Latinx brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I pray for compassion 
boldness and courage to stand up and speak out against injustice and oppression in our nation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Um, It's an incredible reminder that God's heart is to renew all of creation and not just some. Uh, You know, I think of stories of incredible renewal I've heard about when the spirit of God is poured out generously on a people. And there's something there's something inside of me that desperately wants to see that happen here and now. And so this week, as we continue to protest and as we continue to educate ourselves, as we continue to, to sign petitions and do what we need to do, let's, in addition to that, let's pray earnestly and persistently for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Kara and Maddie are gonna lead us in one more song called Graves into Gardens. It's a song that praises the restorative power of God. And as we sing it together, um, I just, I just want to challenge us to use this time to, to plead with God that we might see him pour out his spirit into our hearts, on our nation, that we might see this grave turned into a garden. Let's sing together. <laughs>